1: 6:30 Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six
2: on 6:30 Chad. And now you've got Kajula looking for the activating nurse. He's got him to win it. Nurse shoots and scores.
1: Darnell
2: Nurse. Alex not to shoot. Pressure by Gerard. and threw him aside
0: to the net. Backdoor. One timer. Score. Game the game. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Hey, thanks
1: a lot for tuning in tonight. The Eskimos kick off their season on Thursday. General Manager Brock Sunderland will join us later on in the first hour of the show. Eskimos at Winnipeg, 5.30 countdown to kickoff. The game will start, or pardon me, 5 o'clock countdown to kickoff on Thursday. The game will begin at 6.30. First game of the CFL season, all leading up to the Gray Cup right here in Edmonton. Speaking of cups, speaking of cup
2: celebrations, the party continues in Washington. 44 years of frustration over for the Washington Capitals and their long-suffering fans.
3: What a step!
2: Team captain Alec Ovechkin at a rally on the National Mall that attracted tens of thousands. A confident T.J. Oshie also led the crowd in a chant.
1: Back to back. Back to back.
2: Back to back. The last major sports victory celebration in Washington was the 1992 Super Bowl title. Tim McGuire, Washington.
1: Well I'm surprised Alex Sovechkin still has a voice left that any of them do after all the celebrating and whooping they've done over the last few days. My name is Reed Wilkins it's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Ched, and we bring in for the final time this season so I'm a little sad but it's been great to have him on the show for another year. Former NHL goaltender now analyst with the NHL on Rogers it is Kelly Rudy. Kelly how are you doing?
3: I'm fantastic Reed. my uh, summer has started I I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to go to the draft. I don't have to go to the awards. I'm not a part of free agency. So, you know what? I'm just having a great time enjoying uh, being around my uh, daughters again, their partners, uh, my grandson. So it's an exceptional start to the uh, summer.
1: Uh, now, your grandson, a uh, maverick, right?
3: Yes, indeed. He's four months old now.
1: Oh, wow. He's getting old.
3: <laughs> <I> know, <right? laughs> uh, it's going to be sad, though, uh, Reed. I think I might have mentioned this to you. Um, Our daughter and son-in-law and Maverick are living with us until next week. Uh, And that's been a while now because they have a condo in downtown Calgary. They were selling it and building a house. Well, their house is ready. The condo is sold. And so they're going to be moving out next week. So my wife and I were looking at each other yesterday with sad faces and thinking, boy, how many times are we going to have to make the trek to South Calgary to see our... uh, not only our uh, grandson, but uh, Matt and Jessica. It'll
1: be great. Yeah, well, I know you're, uh, you're a proud grandpa. We, we talked yeah. about that earlier in the season when Maverick uh, was was yeah. welcome to the world. So that's a great story for you. The Capitals turned out to be a, a great story. Uh, that is, uh, I, I don't know if Ovechkin will be done partying by the time training camp uh-huh. opens. That might have been as, as raw and as passionate as, uh, a cup acceptance as as I've ever seen in in 40 plus years of of, of watching hockey and seeing the cup handed out, and clearly it's continuing. Things getting a little wild. So Jack Michaels called it yesterday on the show a little a little Animal House, but they're not letting any moment slip away. It seems like.
3: You know what? And good on them. They've had uh, many years of frustration, and and they've been highly criticized for not being passionate and are uh, not uh, finding a way to get through their emotions, and so. I'm really happy for a lot of those guys, including Ovechkin, Holtby, uh, Backstrom. Many of those guys were the, uh, I guess, they took the brunt of the abuse. So for them now to have uh, powered through and now to be celebrating like this, I don't, uh, I don't see any other way. I think that's the only thing you should be doing right now. Who cares what? I heard a few whispers, people saying they're, they're parting too hard, too many celebrations. I say forget about that. They, they've earned it. They deserve it. And uh, good on. I just love the way that they're sharing it with a lot of their fans too. I, it seems like they're out in the town and and uh, allowing a lot of people that uh, have been in around the D.C. area a chance to touch the cup and, and share it with the players. That's cool.
1: Yeah, I I don't have a problem with it as long as I mean, like they don't appear to be breaking any laws or doing anything right. unsafe. If uh, they're they're grown men, if you want to have a beer out of the Stanley Cup or I mean, I know some of the cake stand stuff. Like I said, it's it's. You know, maybe a little, a little wilder than you might expect, but it's it, it's it's once in a lifetime, and uh, for a team that you know, Jack and I were talking last night. You know, Larry Brooks from the New York Post still wrote that article, basically kind of saying, "Well, you know, Vetchkin's still kind of a loser because he lost all these other series." I'm like, "Give me a break!" Wow. Like, wow. you know, <laughs> let let the let the guy let the guy enjoy it for sure. I, I got to ask yeah. you the flip side of this, Kelly, and as as you know, so we we bring up a lot of fun parts of your career, but you, you yeah. always talk about the ups and downs. We see a team win the Stanley Cup and they get it and they get to celebrate it and the other team kind of shakes hands and and uh, they, they sort of disappear. You, unfortunately for you, 25 years ago, uh, we're on the other side of that. Uh, you lost three heartbreakers in overtime. Game five in the Montreal Forum, the Canadians won 4-1. What's that moment like for the team that doesn't win the Stanley Cup? What do you remember about sitting in that dressing room after the final ends?
3: Well, I remember uh, being extremely uh, emotional, uh, very disappointed, um, sad, Um, and Barry Melrose, our coach at the time, came in and gave us uh, some real, I found, uh, words of comfort, um, because it was important to hear something uh, positive at that moment. Um, And then moving forward, I was hopeful for the next year uh, but I don't think the impact of losing really hits you until later. And I was quick to realize that, uh, that uh, what should be a pretty happy moment um, and something that you're fairly proud of turns out to be, uh, without uh, any question the most disappointing hockey memory I have. There's nothing that even approaches that uh, series. There's nothing that approaches that night. And, uh, and so... It's, it's really something that I know some of these Vegas players will live again. They're they're going to feel that. Right now, they're uh, probably feeling fairly proud of the fact that they had such a great inaugural season, but uh, the fact remains, uh, it's really hard to get to the finals, and most guys don't ever win a Stanley Cup, and so a lot of those guys will be on that side of it, where this will be the uh, highest peak they, uh, they reach, and it, it won't be very fulfilling. So, um, it's it's going to be interesting because and and some of those guys unfortunately as you watch the series read some of their best players uh, didn't play very well so that's going to be an added issue that they're going to have to accept that here they were brilliant for three rounds and this includes Fleury also uh, and uh, their top line I just thought that most of those guys did not play uh, nearly as well now I having said that I didn't expect that Fleury was going to play quite as well as you had the first three rounds I mean that would have been nearly impossible, but I didn't expect him to play that poorly either, so it's uh, it's uh, a moment, I actually had to do an interview like a month ago or something, Sportsnet was doing a thing on it, and it brought up a lot of really uh, negative memories for me about Montreal winning that year and how we lost and so on and so it's not something that I think about on a daily basis and I don't need help, and I'm not being uh, I'm not trying to be humorous about that. Like, I, I am over it. But uh, when I do talk about it, it's very emotional and uh, a little bit uh, uh, disturbing.
1: Well, and you know what? And, and I, I know I do that sometimes, too. Because I make you relive bad memories, so I apologize for that. But... Oh, no. You know what? It's part of my career. <laughs> and, uh, well, and I remember, speaking of the Capitals, I remember in uh, in 1998, that version of the Capitals lost to Detroit in the final, and that was kind of a Capitals team that was, you know, good, maybe not expected to reach the Cup final, and they more or less got beaten fairly soundly by the wings. It was a sweep. Yeah. And then I remember, I think it was the as, as a lead-in to the next season, one of the TV stations kind of did a little extended feature on Ron Wilson and the Capitals and can they get back. And I always remember a quote Ron Wilson had, who was the coach, in the interview he said sometimes I wonder if they really know really knew how close they were. Which which right. I which kind of struck me because it's like, well they were one of two teams remaining, you know, yeah. but I wonder if that was like, well we're finally the team that, that made the final and maybe that's uh maybe that's gonna be good enough. But that always I always remember Wilson saying that. Yeah, you know um,
3: what I remember most about moving forward, I, I think we were a veteran team, so I, I think we all did recognize uh, the importance of going to the Cup and, and how close we were. And I mean, it was as you mentioned at the opening, we lost three consecutive games in overtime. So it's not as though we had a bad series and that uh, uh, we have regrets about that. We were really good in the series. Montreal is just a little bit better. But uh, moving forward, I think that's even maybe uh, maybe not quite as disappointing, but. We couldn't quite figure out the season after why. Like we got off to a great start, I believe we were five one and one, and then we were terrible. And we just could not recapture. We couldn't find that groove again. And I think some of us were. It was in around January or February when we're still out of the playoff picture, but we're really close. Some of us that, and i about and how close they can get again next year it's a little bit like nashville this year they just had nothing uh they had a really good season but they just couldn't answer uh winnipeg when it really counted and and you sort of wonder why when you've had all these good years or these experiences but when it matters most you fall short it's very disappointing
1: Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports at 6.16. By the way, Blue Jays trailing 2-0 against Tampa Bay. That's in the bottom of the fourth. Kelly, one of the big stories here is what might happen with Milan Lucci. She still has five years left on that big contract. Coming off a really disappointing, basically final uh, second half of, of last season. where only scored once in 46 games. Looked frustrated. Uh, And often, you know, either when he did play well, he couldn't finish chances and had a lot of nights where he was either invisible or was just having trouble handling the puck. I know there's a lot of stories, speculation that he might be open to trading to, uh, you know, waving his no-move clause, and and maybe the Oilers could do something with that contract. It's going to be tough. Nobody's going to be lining up to do the Oilers uh, a favor. And, and I know there's some people that say, well, even if he bounces back this year, it, it, is his career on the decline? Because sometimes power forwards, once they hit 30, 31, 32, it can really start to go south for them. Uh, this is a tough one, and, and I knew, you know, I hey, we all knew it was a long contract, but I didn't think we'd be talking about this this early in the deal.
3: I certainly didn't. Uh, I've got a soft spark in my heart for him. Uh, I think I may have told your uh, listeners this story, but I'll, I'll repeat it again. I just hope that he can find a way to sort of recapture that uh, love that he has for the game, the spirit uh, that he plays with again, because when I did a game pretty late in the season, it would have been March, I believe, here in Calgary and I was between the benches for that one <clears throat> and uh, I've known Milan for a little bit uh, I wouldn't say we're buddies but uh, we certainly can say hi and chat and stuff and uh, he acknowledged me uh, in between the benches and warm-up and I had my eye on him the whole game and what really surprised me is how he was not really into the game in the sense like he played with emotion he wasn't getting uh, the best out of himself oftentimes, and this was what struck me really odd and kind of sad, that oftentimes when he'd come off the ice, he'd sit down on the bench and he'd hang his head. Like his head would just go down between his legs, sort of. He wasn't watching the play anymore. He wasn't all that emotionally involved in the sense that he wasn't chirping anybody. And that's the Battle of Alberta. And so it really occurred to me there that I'm really cheering for him to find a way to really find that love again. And, and I know how disappointed he was throughout the season, and maybe that's what really made it that much harder in March for him to keep going because he felt like uh, the season was such a disappointment. And, and you feel badly because you know you're letting your teammates down, you're letting the organization down. And I've been there, and it really bothers you. But I'm hoping somehow this summer he can be in a place where somebody's able to talk to him and convince him that, you know, he can contribute again. He can be a, an important part of whether it's the Oilers or somewhere else and and really play with that spark that we've watched for many many years and that we all really admired uh, about his game.
1: Yeah, and, th- and that was what was uh, tough watching him. And, and, I mean, you saw it like you said right from from ice level. He, he just, you know, you f- he looked like he fell into one of those slumps where, I mean obviously it was a slump, but where it's not just like, okay, I'm getting chances and it won't get him. I mean, he just looked like i got to get the puck off my stick as quickly as possible. i got to get off the ice as quickly as possible. And I think that, uh, and, and I think the Oilers had, had this problem as a whole. There wasn't a lot of joy in their game this year, right? right? And that and yeah. that that applies to Lucic for sure.
3: And, and then when you look at it for Milan, you look at it. So that was March where I was there and I saw that. And you think of how many months of uh, that experience he's been going through and that sort of angst. Whereas you look at even like Riley Smith in the finals, he, after two games, I was surprised by how bad he looked games three and four in Washington and like he didn't want to handle the puck. And he's a really good player. So you think about Lucic, he had five months of that torture. So I really feel for him and I'm really cheering for him.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the Oilers do. I, I, I do think that's going to be... a uh... Uh, a, a tough trade to make because, like I said, teams aren't going to want to do the Oilers a favor to, to take the contract off their hands. Kelly, uh, you're a joy to deal with. Thanks for uh, rolling with some of the stuff I throw at you, especially the highlights from your career throughout the season. <laughs> I know you're going to have a great summer with your family. All the best with that. All the best on the golf course when you can get out, and we'll keep in touch.
3: You got it. Thanks, Reed. I appreciate it. I had a great year with you, bud.
1: That is Kelly Rudy checking in tonight, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chet. It is 621. We'll talk a little bit more about Milan Lucic and some of the challenges there for the Oilers. And Peter Shirelli is he's uh, likely weighing some options with that right now. And Eskimos General Manager Brock Sunderland will join us as well.
2: This is Mike Riley from Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet.
1: Eskimos head to Winnipeg tomorrow. Game against the Blue Bombers on 6:30. Chad on Thursday, five o'clock for the countdown to kickoff. Game at 6:30. The Bombers, no Matt Nichols. He's out four to six weeks. Chris Streveler, rookie out of South Dakota. South Dakota played for the South Dakota Coyotes. He will start at quarterback for Winnipeg. And, uh, yes, as we mentioned, uh, the the trivia question, which I'm sure you all impressed your colleagues at work today with, the last rookie out of college to start in week one in the CFL since Anthony Calvillo for the 1994 Las Vegas Posse. Another great trivia question, Kellen. We've had this one on the show before. Where did the Las Vegas Posse play their final
2: home game? Yeah, it wasn't in Las Vegas. Uh, it was here in town, wasn't it? It
1: was here in town. They knew the team wasn't going to make it for another season. The last game on the schedule was Edmonton at Las Vegas. So the league said, well, why don't we just play the game in Edmonton? Because yeah. at least we'll get more people to go. So uh, there's a couple great trivia questions courtesy Inside Sports. Some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Check out the new spring chicken menu with spring-inspired fixins. Start your salivated at northchickenyeg.com. You can check them out in person, and I recommend you do 124th Street, 107th Avenue. The Doritos mac and cheese, definitely one of my uh, favorite dishes in the culinary universe. Uh, Brock Sunderland, Eskimos General Manager, coming up in the next half hour of the show. Now, tomorrow could be a very big day for Canadian soccer, for Edmonton soccer, as organizers of a joint bid by Canada, the U.S., and Mexico will find out if they get to host the 2026 World Cup. The vote is tomorrow. The
0: U.S. failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup following a disappointing loss to Trinidad and Tobago last fall. Since then, U.S. soccer has made Carlos Cordero president. Last week, he hired a new general manager and still needs to hire a men's national team coach, but says the most important uh, priority for the Federation um, is securing the co-hosting of the World Cup and Uh, 2026. The United bid includes venues in the U.S., Mexico and Canada promising billions of dollars in profits for FIFA. The other bidding nation, Morocco, is banking on its convenience to European viewers. Ryan Burrow, ABC News.
1: This will be an interesting one to watch. If you've been reading about this or hearing about this, there there is some anti-Trump sentiment out there for some voting nations, even some CONCACAF nations. That's Canada's Federation, when it comes to international soccer, has said we're not going to support the North American bid. We're going to vote for Morocco. If this, if it does go North America's way tomorrow, uh, I would think obviously that's going to be big for soccer here in Edmonton, big here for FC Edmonton. I think that would pretty much clinch it that the uh, upgrades to Clark Stadium will happen, that they'll expand the seating and work on some of the facilities there, dressing room work, laundry room work, all that kind of stuff. So that'll be interesting. happens early tomorrow morning around 5 a.m. Mountain Time, and uh, no matter which way it goes, we'll talk about it more on Inside Sports tomorrow night. I imagine we'll talk about it a little more if uh, Canada does get one of the hosting spots. 80 games in all for that, 60 in the States, 10 in Canada, 10 in Mexico. Edmonton, Montreal, and Toronto put forth as uh, the host cities in Canada. So Edmonton looking at three or four games, if that all goes according to plan. All right, you can text 630-630. The open line number 780 496 Don't forget, you can always email inside Sports at 630chett.com. By the way, a little bit of a note here relating to the Eskimos. Uh, running back John White signing with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Remember, he was somewhat surprisingly released by the green and gold right at the start of training camp shortly after the physicals. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Milan Lucic as well. This continues to be an ongoing saga. Can he bounce back? Can he bounce back to a level that's worth keeping him around? That discussion ahead on Inside Sports.
0: And expert opinion. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins on 630
1: Chad. Got a text here to 630-630. This is a beauty. I wish this individual would have signed his or her name. Here's a CFL trivia question: which Edmonton radio personality? Once did color commentary for the 1934 and 36 Grey Cup champions. Now the Eskimos uh, weren't didn't start till the 50s, so this person would have been working somewhere else and then come to Edmonton later. I assume, uh, and uh, now I didn't have time to fact check this, but I have no reason to think this person isn't accurate. Don Percy did radio for the Sarnia Imperials. Wow. How about that? That's going back. Now, I knew it wasn't Brian Hall. He's. Brian's a little more seasoned than many of us but he wasn't old enough to be doing radio in the thir- in the mid-30s.
2: Yes, and I think uh, if he was Toronto, not Sarnia.
1: He did work in Toronto for yes. a while. Yes. Yeah. Uh, John texting that in. Thank you very much. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. chat. the text line is 630-630. This texter says, whether Milan Lucic bounces back or not, he deserves a second chance. If the Oilers keep shipping out players willy-nilly, they will always be rebuilding. This This, this is a really interesting story here. Uh, you know, Lucic got the big contract. The six million a year is a lot. I-, I think even more significant was the length of the deal, he got seven years, which was a long one, but in my mind we weren't going to have, be having this discussion about a big drop-off in his game till maybe after year four at the earliest, but it really went south the last 46 games of this past year. You all know the story. He only scored once. He, he really looked like he was struggling. Kelly Rudy talked about it in the last half hour of the show, how he just didn't look like he was enjoying the game. Really tough ride for Lucic. Now we have these stories that, you know, he has not asked to be traded. He has not formally waived his no-move clause but he might be open to it, and that maybe the Oilers are sniffing around to get a lot. And this has been reported by a lot of uh, a lot of people, including Elliot Friedman of, of Sportsnet, who's one of the best guys out there getting stories like this. So I look at this and say that I th- this to me this is a very difficult. If if the Oilers are sitting there thinking, okay, we're gonna trade him, a what team? really wants them, you're going to have to take some other kind of a large contract back or retain salary on Lucic's deal, which that's actually less appealing to me than maybe getting another overpaid player because at least you might get something hopefully out of that player. I mean, a lot of the names out there, David Backus, Andrew Shaw, Louis Erickson, I'm, I'm thinking, why? If, if you're 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 banking on one player to rebound who played for another team or you're banking on your your uh, own guy to rebound I mean in that case I I would just sooner bank on my own guy to rebound here here is the one of the things about Lucic that that I looked at during the season as well his career shooting percentage is 13.7 pretty good last year he shot 6.8 basically half so if you go simply by that number, you'd think, okay, he's it's it's gonna come back to at least some extent. Now I realize the counterargument to that is even if it comes back to some extent, does it does it come back to the extent where he can score, you know, twenty to twenty-five goals? If he bounces back to fifteen goals, great, more than ten this year, but is that really why you signed with the contract to score fifteen goals? And I understand and you know, I've been talking to some people about this that there are there are some people who say just just get rid of him, get him off the roster, because even if he has a bounce back year, it still won't be worth it in years four, five, six, and seven of the deal. And that's an interesting argument that, that say just get rid of the contract so you don't have to deal with it later on. I, I I'm not really in favor of a buyout because in in the long term you're not saving that much, and you're you know you have over half of his. Well, a couple years, it's almost the full value of his annual salary, taking up cap space. So I'm not really in favor of a buyout. I am not in favor of the Oilers sweetening the pot on a deal to get him somewhere else, though I I guess it depends what it is. I would not put the number 10 overall pick in a package with Lucic to get rid of him. A lower down draft pick, okay, maybe. But again, is another team going to look at that and find that appealing? So th- this is this has become, I think, somewhat unexpectedly, because you know he had a, he has a no move, but now if he's open to waving it or letting the Oilers look around, now it becomes very interesting, and and maybe the story of the summer for the Oilers, because it's it's difficult for me to see a, a scenario where you get somebody back where you say, well, at least we got that guy, because you may just get another pay- player with a big contract who. Makes a similar amount of money, unless the orders are just going to say, fine, we'll trade him for another overpaid guy who's struggling, but he maybe has shorter term. So we can buy it, buy it buy it, out earlier or it ends earlier. I mean, I know somebody put out Dion Phaneuf's name, who has three years left on his deal. Now, that would be interesting because you'd be trading for a different position enough makes a little bit more, uh, but he only has three years left, so you could let it expire sooner or buy it out sooner, and it wouldn't be as punitive. Maybe, maybe that's the way the orders wind up going. I know, uh, I, I know uh, the uh, blogger. He's a really interesting guy. Actually, he does a good job. Uh, Darcy McLeod. He goes by Wood Guy on Twitter. He put out a little graph today comparing Lucic's career to Todd Bertuzzi's. And his argument is that often power forwards at the age of 30, that's really where there can be a sharp decline. And yes, a lot of players decline offensively when they get older. That's fairly normal. But star players, whether it's the or I mean, the Sedins are a great example. Uh, Were they as productive in their last couple of years as they were, you know, seven, eight years ago, of course not, but they, they were actually still pretty good offensive players. So their decline wasn't as sharp. But So Darcy's argument was for bigger guys with a lot of miles, Lucic has played a lot of playoff games, plays that you know very physical style, that he's going to wear down a lot quicker. And for that reason, even if he does recover to some extent this year, Darcy still expects a big drop-off in his early 30s, and then therefore it's maybe better just to get out from under the deal right now. Uh, somebody asked isn't his contract front loaded for the uh, yes but for the average annual value that doesn't matter and you can go on cap friendly and you can br- bring up somebody's contract and see what it would be like to buy it out maybe that's what that person is asking but but, but go do that colton auto lacklabish says the guy just turned 30 you got to give him a break 30 isn't that old four to five years ago we were crying the team isn't tough enough and now that we uh and now that we have tough people, and now that we are tough, people are still whining. Personally, I love Lucic, and I think we should keep him. Yes, he's overpaid and has a long contract, but keep him. That is Colton out of Lac La Richard says, you might trade Lucic for another overpaid player just to try the fresh start angle for both guys. That being said, I want to keep him. I think the benefits outweigh the cons. Now, and the other wild card in this is, we don't necessarily know what else is going on in just life that could po- possibly lead to him saying, "You know what? I, if if you want to look at moving me, because Edmonton's not the right place for me right now, maybe." And, and you know, I and I'm not casting him in a, in a negative light but you never know if that's a, a factor. Because I don't want to turn this into a guy doesn't want to play an Edmonton type thing because I don't think that's the story, uh, but you, you never know that. And, and you hear stuff, and, and I don't like reporting gossip, but who knows what else could be going on uh, in the guy's life. So that's uh, another complicating factor in all this. I mean, if it's just a hockey decision, then I would think, you know what, you committed to the guy, he had a horrid 46 games, he did have a shooting percentage year of eight point nine back in twelve thirteen and recovered to fifteen point seven the next year. you know maybe that six point eight gets up to eleven twelve this next year and he's a little more productive. Brian is on the line. go ahead, Brian. Hey, Reed, how's it going doing well uh,
2: a lot of talk about Lucic, um right now yes I, I was just gonna get your thoughts on this, but I just wanted to uh just just kind of say, like, aren't we kind of aren't we kind of doing uh, what, you know, what caused us problems in Edmonton to begin with, and that is just being trigger happy with players. I mean, uh, Lucic had a horrible second half of the year. Sure. The guy's a very proud player. Um, I'm pretty sure he's going to have a better year this year than last year. Uh, What's the point of trying to get rid of this guy, you know, and, and, and especially if we have to give up Something else, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and 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 of course, if we if we trade cheats we're probably going to be picking up somebody else's problem. Um, so I don't. To me, it does does not make sense on a player that's had numerous good years. He's you know floundered the last half year of uh, you know of the season. Uh, but the guy is a proud guy. You know he's going to come back with a vengeance. You know and. and Anyway, I'd like to get your thoughts on
1: that. Well, I would hope so, and I think you make a great point, Brian, and a lot of people brought up that same concern to me, is why are the Oilers, why have they been so bad for so long, with the exception of making the playoffs last season? And one of the things is they have traded players who could have been promising players or at least helpful players. Right? Whether you look at how, and look, Jeff Petrie, just use his example. Is he a star defenseman? No. Is he an NHL defenseman? Sure. Um, You know, they they traded him when, you know, he only got a one year contract and then they had to trade him because they weren't going to resign him. Devin Dubnik has, uh, you know, an off half season. He gets traded. Well, Devin Dubnik's been one of the top five goalies in the NHL the last three years. So I know what Brian's saying. Now, is Lucic directly comparable to those? But if, if you kinda trade him for nothing or for another team's problem and, and then he he does bounce back, well, th- th- then you're worse off. So I get that argument for sure. Uh seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three, quick timeout at six forty seven. Brock Sunderland, Eskimos GM is coming up on the show.
0: JC Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, I'll get to some more of your texts here a little bit later on in the show. I'll do
1: that after the 7 o'clock news. We'll also talk about that crazy story out of Ottawa, the allegations that it was Mike Hoffman's girlfriend sending threatening and, uh, and insulting messages to the Carlson's online uh, during the time Eric Carlson and his wife uh, lost their uh, lost their baby. Uh, obviously, very tragic story, and it uh, it gets weird here as well we 'll talk about that in the next half hour Eskimos Winnipeg on Thursday. The General Manager of the Edmonton Eskimos is Brock Sunderland. Brock, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, great to have you on the show. I know everybody's excited to get the the CFL season going here, the Eskimos uh, season going. You know, Brock, you and I have talked a lot over the last uh, year and a bit since you became the General Manager, and I'm I'm curious to get your perspective on this spring and leading into the season as compared to last spring leading into the season. Because obviously, you you, you know, you you didn't get the GM job maybe at an ideal time last year in terms of uh, uh, maybe prepping everything you want to. How different was it for you just having that year under your belt and then having the job for the entire offseason?
0: Well, I mean, it's night and day. Uh, the biggest difference is getting to know everybody here in the building, uh, all the people that I have on staff from operations to uh, working relationship with Paul Jones, uh, all the coaches that were here already that I didn't know or that I hadn't worked with before. So just familiarity with everybody and, and how it works be the biggest difference.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, ready to go into the season here. The, the Training camp and preseason was an interesting one for the Eskimos. You got a pretty early game. You played relatively quickly again against Winnipeg, and then because of the way it's structured with the nine teams, there's a, one team that basically gets you know a buy at the end of the preseason. That was you guys. How how did the evaluation process change, or what were some of the the big challenges, if any, of having you know the two games kind of earlier, and then just having you know a, sort of the training camp team against team uh, teammate
0: against teammate scenario uh, going into the end it didn't really change our evaluation process at all cuz you you look at these guys day in and day out and you know preseason games count for a lot but what they do here every day at practice counts uh, just as much so uh, the the biggest challenge was if guys played quickly in the Winnipeg game and they hadn't been here real long then they didn't have a whole lot of time afterwards to to really show a lot it was a quick turnaround on, on learning the game plan and everything on the the positive side is that we did have that extra time after the fact so uh, if you wanted to be a little bit more patient and not make knee-jerk reactions that's the challenge sometimes uh, I know for us in Ottawa in 2016 we played a game and the next day we're cut so I've been on both sides of it and if I had to choose I'd prefer this one where you get a little bit more time to, to make slower decisions and, and think things through a little bit more uh, not that you don't it's the way around but it's not quite as knee-jerk at times if you have this much time after you play Uh, but as you mentioned the big challenge is you play two games in 12 days um, and you play seven days after you come into camp you have to hit the ground running so for us mini camp was huge in vegas uh, to get the the installation of offense defense and special teams so uh, there's like everything pros and cons yeah for sure
1: all right uh you know some interesting positions for me keeping an eye on the team through training camp a running back obviously cj gable was uh, excellent last year and, and uh, he's the number one guy at that position going in i i'm wondering what turned out to be uh the difference between jordan robinson and shaq cooper uh in your mind i, I know jordan's uh, on the roster right now and shaq is on the uh the practice squad what led to
0: a little bit of separation there between the two Oh, the biggest thing is returnability. Uh, You know, Jordan took a 98-yard punt back and has done kick returns, so uh, that would be the difference. They're both dynamic runners. Uh, I think Shaq is electric when he has the ball in his hands, and, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if at some point he's on the field this year for us. So in no way are we saying we're giving up on Shaq. Uh, Jordan just has that extra element, which is
1: hard to find. All right. Eskimos General Manager Brock Sunderland joining us on Inside Sports. Of course, Eskimos open the season Thursday in Winnipeg. We'll have it for you right here on 630 Jet with Morley Scott and Dave Campbell uh, providing the play-by-play. Hey, uh, you know, Godfrey Onyeka was uh, your first pick in this year's draft obviously uh, in the second round 10th overall got to interview him briefly uh, the night he was drafted I I met him quickly at fan day seems like he's a pretty upbeat uh, young man coming out of Wilford Laurier did is on the roster here to start the season give me a sense of where you know Onyeka can fit in here early and and what do you think his uh, ceiling is as a potential
0: important Canadian player in your defensive backfield Well, where he fits in right now is he's our backup field corner and he's going to be on a lot of special teams, so he's going to be active and get a lot of action early, whether it's on defense or on special teams, and like everybody else, he's one play away from being the guy, and he's trending the right way. He's extremely intelligent, picked up the defensive playbook fast, and he's come on as of late, you know, one-on-ones and all those things. One advantage we have with our defensive backs is I think it'll be hard-pressed to find a better receiving core across the league, and that's... Bias, obviously, but so he's getting to go against top tier players every day in practice, and I think that's only going to help him get better. Uh, so the short term is he's active; he's going to be help us on special teams and defense immediately. And long term, uh, I think the sky's the limit. I think he has certainly has starter capability, and I, I wouldn't be ever wouldn't you be shocked if he's ever an All Star. Um, but that's that's a lot of guys that are drafted that high. So you know the proof will be in the pudding, and we'll see where that goes. But I think he has every Every possibility to be that type of player for us,
1: Brock. I'm going to stick with the defensive backfield just for a second, and, and I know um, obviously in a situation like this, there's there's is some some personal stuff. But I, because I'm still getting asked today, oh, why is Eric Grimes on the suspended list? And I've had to tell people, hold on, he didn't he didn't do anything wrong. Um, this is the suspended list isn't always for players who have. Um, Committed a, a team infraction. I mean, this is just to clarify, he's just has to be away from the team a while for a personal matter. There's there's nothing more to that, I assume?
0: Exactly right. Yeah, he did nothing wrong at all. And people that are obviously familiar with Aaron know that that's not the type of person he is. Um, And this is staying true to character for Aaron. He, he has a family matter. And um, football is extremely important. And we always say, or I always like to say that, uh, we should approach football as if it's life and death, but understand it is not. And family matters and, and things like that are certainly more important than first and ten. So speak to his character what he's doing and I will leave it at that because it's, it's his personal business yeah right on okay thanks uh,
1: thanks for clarifying that for sure yeah, I, just to switch to the other side of the ball uh, quickly here offense uh, obviously the offensive line was uh, one where we knew there might be some battles uh, Tommy Draheim out of San Diego State big guy 6'4", around 300 pounds uh, he's cracked the roster guys back from last year like Beard, O'Donnell and Sorensen too um, I, was, was that was that something and I, and I know you're watching everybody, but I, but I think there were maybe some more spots up for grabs here. W- was Draheim, in your mind, a guy that emerged, or what can you tell us about some of those battles for tackle spots
0: that you saw through camp here? Yeah, we, we signed him late. It was later May. Ottawa released him, so it was right before camp that we picked him up. Uh, I have some familiar, familiarity with him because I'd scouted him when I was with the Jets San Diego State, and then we had him in Ottawa in 2016. And he actually started at left tackle for us uh, the last, I think, two to three games of the regular season, and then all the playoff games and the Grey Cup. So uh, he's familiar with the system. It's it's very similar to what we ran in Ottawa. And uh, he also started an entire season 2015 at left tackle in B.C. So he's familiar to playing a lot of football at left tackle in this league. And he just outplayed everyone else for that position. So he, he proved through camp and preseason games that he was the guy on our roster that we feel is best fit in that role right now
1: all right i'll just throw one more at you this is a fun one that i think a lot of fans and media like when uh tsn puts out its top 50 players mike uh, mike riley voted number one which shouldn't be a surprise as he was mop last year as a general manager do you do you peek at that or 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 do you leave that uh you know because hey you just you just want to win uh do you you take a peek at that list
0: or, or do you just leave it for the fans and the pundits i just leave it for the fans and the pundits. I mean, everything's subjective, and, um, you know, I understand it's fun and it's entertaining, but, you know, how we evaluate film is probably drastically different than than, uh, the media and the fans. So uh, it gets the conversation going, and it's fun. But, you know, uh, if I were to see the list, I'd probably disagree with a lot of it because I'm biased and think a lot of our guys should be on it. Right on.
1: Well, Brock, I know we're going to talk a few times throughout the season. Thanks for making time for us tonight. Good luck against
0: Winnipeg. I appreciate it. Thank you.